0: Feelin' Film Plus is a place where our passions lead to conversation. You'll find discussion on movies, documentaries, television, anime, books, video games, and more. If we love it, we'll talk about it. Welcome, listeners, to Feelin' Film Plus. I'm Aaron, and for this episode, I am joined by Mike Ward, a fellow Seattle film critic whose insightful reviews always break down the pros and cons to help us answer that most important of questions should I see it thanks for coming on the show Mike I'm pretty excited to uh, be able to talk with you
1: well thank you yeah hi uh, this is this is kind of awesome I'm, I'm proud to be a, a guest as it were
0: yeah we're bringing you from the written world to the audio world I, I think you you <laughs> have some history with audio though in the past don't you
1: yeah, it's um, it's been a while. I was involved in college radio for a number of years. Um, well, I guess not a number of years because you're really only supposed to be in college for a certain period of time. But to that extent, yeah, I, uh, I was involved in that. And I've, I've been on Cinema Squabble a few times, which is another Seattle area podcast. So I'm not foreign to the microphone. But um, yeah, this is kind of a, a reminder of what it used to be like a number of years ago.
0: Nice. Well, anything anything we can do to make you feel young? That's that's a good a good positive there. <laughs>
1: and well, I thank you.
0: <laughs> well, what Mike and I are here to discuss, listeners, is somewhat special and unique. So in Seattle, we are kicking off the Seattle International Film Festival uh, tomorrow, May eighteenth, two thousand seventeen. Uh, based on when we're recording, and this is the first in probably at least a couple of episodes where we're going to offer our spoiler-free highlights on some of the films that are being covered. This year, SIFF, as we affectionately call the Seattle International Film Festival, <laughs> will screen 400 films representing 80 countries. So it truly is an international film festival. That's one of the things that I've really noticed this year digging into it uh, from the press side <laughs> and not just from the, the movie-goer side where I'm trying to pick out the hot indies that are going to be Oscar movies. Um, right. There are 161 feature films and four secret films. I don't even know what that means, uh, but it's exciting. (laughs) There are 58 documentaries, which is awesome. Uh, Mike and I both love docs, and uh, there there's a wealth of good ones. 14 archival films and 163 short films uh, from all across the globe. The films also include 36 world premieres. 14 of those are features and 22 are shorts. 34 North American premieres, 22 of which are features, uh, and 20 U.S. premieres, 11 of which are features and nine of which are shorts. Also significant to this year's festival is that 50% of the films come from first or second time filmmakers. That's pretty incredible. Um, It's it's
1: awesome, actually, yeah.
0: Yeah, that is a lot of amazing new art for us to discover, and (laughs) we are excited to share some of that journey and encourage you to seek out those films that sound appealing to you. So, you know, if you're in the Seattle area, uh, we will make sure we list some dates so that if you're listening to this prior to the festival, uh, you know when you can catch these films. And if you're not, or you're listening to this well after the film festival has ended, hopefully this will just put these movies on your radar and they'll become something that you seek out and watch, uh, the ones that we at least think are worth your time. So with that being said, Mike... (laughs) I'm curious, man. What is your experience with SIF?
1: Um, well, I'm relatively new, I suppose, to the SIF, um, I don't know, experience, the process. I uh, have been a Seattle film critic for about seven, almost eight years now. SIF um, was always this sort of daunting sort of monolith in the distance, like I wasn't really sure what to make of it. And uh, a good friend of ours, um, Sarah Michelle Fetters, another Seattle area film critic, um, would cover this thing just exhaustively. And I remember asking her, how do you do that? She said, you just you just do it, you just go in, dive into it and see what see how you come out on the other side. So the the first thing is is, I'm glad you went through the numbers, because as you look at it, 400 films i I mean it's just whether they're short films or features or docs or whatever it's 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 an incredible number and so one of the things you and i talked about uh was again how and you just you just kind of come up with your own approach like every person that covers the festival writes their own sort of ticket literally on how to get through this thing and you know, the, the thing that's exciting about the the first time and second time filmmakers, like you just said, you can turn over a lot of things, uh, turn over a lot of rocks, find a lot of films that are really unique and incredible. And these are some pretty progressive programmers. So they're always looking for new and innovative voices. And this festival is chock full of those kind of films um, with a few things that people have heard of sprinkled in. So I guess my, my sort of. SIF experiences is just kind of dive in and see where you end up. And this is my third year covering it. And I'm still following that same approach because I quite honestly don't know how else to do it. So,
0: <laughs> well, whatever's working, you know, you stick with it, I think. And and so I, far, I guess. Yeah. well, this is, you know, I've, I've been in Seattle a while now. Um, it's my new home away from home from Arkansas, but I've lived in Seattle for most of the last gosh, almost two decades now. It's kind of crazy. And I discovered Sif probably four, maybe five years ago. Um, I went to one movie, maybe two movies. I can even remember the films I've seen specifically. And it was typically, I I used to pick out those ones that we were talking about, those those specific ones that that people knew about, right? The mainstream films. I I went to see the premiere of John Dies at the End. Uh, A Mm. book I'd read. I went to see The Way, Way Back, uh, The Fault in Our Stars. These are some of the ones I remember. Um, But what Civ really did for me is it it helped spark my love of the indie and my love of discovering these just off the rails films that we didn't know anything about. (laughs) You know, when I, one of my fondest memories was sitting in a hall watching Ain't Them Bodies Saints and then hearing David Lowry speak after the film. Now, mm. now everybody knows who David Lowry is, right? Because Pete's Dragon was a huge success and everybody's excited about a ghost story. But right. then we didn't know who this guy was. We just, I saw Casey Affleck and was like, oh, I like Casey Affleck and, and Nume Rapaze. And, you know, like, ah, oh, you know, I I could dig her too. And I fell in love with the film. I fell in love with the experience of having a director there to talk to me and answer questions. I feel like he was talking
1: to me, you know. He was. He was. He was. Absolutely he was.
0: And it just became such an awesome thing where I started to try and go more and more and more each year. And so, you know, I appreciate all your help this year, kind of mentoring me, taking me under your wing and showing me the ropes. (laughs) Uh, It's been fun so far just trying to get through as many of these as you can. It really is a. I almost, I almost wanted to use the word slog. It's a fun slog. If you're a film fanatic. <laughs> yes. yes, um, that's true. But when you watch things in high volume, there are some duds. So, it, yeah. you know, it is what it is, but
1: yeah. And, and to be fair, I mean, 400 films were told by the SIF folks, these are all great movies for various different reasons. But I mean, the odds are there might be a couple that, you know, don't quite make the, um, uh, make the cut as it were. Right. Um, uh,
0: and everybody's and taste I, is never going to be the same.
1: Yeah, and I've only I can only really of the, gosh, I cannot even think how many SIF movies I've seen in the three years I've covered the festival. But I can only really think of one time where a film sort of I don't want to say flatlined, but it sort of died on the vine in the theater, and um, that was a weird experience because if you if you're able to attend, well, really probably any film festival, but especially SIF, a lot of people don't realize Seattle is a rabid movie community. I mean, there is a culture here that rivals, you know, it's maybe a notch below like LA and New York and, and, and maybe Austin, but there is a, a fervent fan base for this festival and these films. So, You'll get a documentary last year like Kedi, which is about a a group of stray cats that live in Istanbul and move around everybody and they're just part of the community. And that thing will sell out around the block and they'll turn people away for all three times it plays in the festival. And you're like, it's a Turkish documentary about cats, but (laughs) it clicked and people loved it. And there's just the festival is full of those things um, and every audience is alive, great, audience. And so it's just, it's a really cool experience.
0: Yeah. And, and for you listeners, not in Seattle, I'm, I'm not sure how other film festivals do this. I know some are pretty self-contained in one little area, uh, but right. in, in Seattle here, the way ours works is our films are spread out over, I, I don't know, a dozen theaters. It feels like all across <laughs> yeah. the city, you know, ranging from, in a, in a 15 to 20 mile span, uh, there, some are in bigger theaters, uh, some are in absolutely tiny theaters, some are in new theaters, some are in old theaters, some are in like, uh, performance halls <laughs> in colleges
1: and just a concert venue a con- for one of the concert, special yeah. things are going to do. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're
0: all over the place. So, um, it's a, it's an exciting time. And, uh, if you ever get the chance and, or if you're in Seattle now, by, by all means, check it out. You don't have to go nuts your first year, you know, no. pick a couple of films. They have a SIF has a fantastic small option that that i always suggest for my friends which is a a three three movie package deal so you get three films two tickets to each one so it's a six ticket package it's Mm -hmm. very affordable and you you pick the three that most interest you and then you go to those and then then you let it bite you and the next year you're like oh i need (laughs) to go to all of them
1: (laughs) yeah i think i'll do five this year and you know 400 next year exactly yeah exactly
0: well, man, um, we got several movies to go for go through here. Um, we've watched yeah. quite a few, and these are mostly films that are all opening the first week of SIF, So, if you're listening to this right on time, the first day we drop it, uh, you'll have a chance to get into these. But if not, again, you know, if these interest you and you can't make screenings or you're not listening locally. Jot down a note somewhere about these movies and, and seek them out, you know, make a Google alert for the title or something so that
1: oh, that's a good idea. when
0: it releases, you'll know, and you'll be like, oh yeah, Aaron and Mike said that was worth talking about or worth seeing. So, all right. So first one, yeah. the first film I want to talk about, Mike, it's uh, a film from Ireland uh, by director uh, by the name of John Butler. And mm. this was one of the movies that we actually got a trailer of at our press launch and it really jumped out at me. It's called Mm -hmm. Handsome Devil, and I'm going to read the plot synopsis for all of these as we go. This one is a music-obsessed Irish teenager, Ned, uh, played by Fionn, I guess. I wanted to say Fionn O'Shea, uh, is an outcast at his rugby-obsessed boarding school, understood only by an inspirational English teacher, played by Andrew Scott of Sherlock, at least until he becomes roommates with a star athlete. In this breezy coming-of-age underdog story,
1: so aren't they all though? They, aren't they all <laughs> breezy coming-of-age underdogs?
0: They they really are. Um, you know, this one when I first saw it, immediately my mind went to its Zing Street with rugby, uh, which oh yeah is not a bad thing. Um, I'm also a sucker for the Irish accent. <laughs> I, I, I'm probably not the only one out there that that just kind of melts when I hear it. Um, but there's something exciting about it. you don't you don't hear enough of it in film. I don't think in America. So right off the bat, this one intrigued me and not to mention the inclusion of Andrew Scott. So, um, when I say Andrew Scott of Sherlock f- listeners, I'm talking about, uh, the actor that plays Moriarty. And this is a very interesting turn for him because in Sherlock as Moriarty. He is very much an ultimate, you know, tactical genius kind of evil <laughs> character with these horrible yeah. intentions. Uh, and that is very much not what he plays in handsome devil. So, so Mike, what did, what did you think of this? Well, first of all, were you excited about it at all beforehand or?
1: Yeah, the, um, the trailer I thought was pretty great. Um, I couldn't tell from the trailer though, where it was quite going. I I wasn't sure if it was kind of what it ended up being, uh, which (laughs) I love your analogy of sing street with rugby. Um, I thought maybe, you know, because the, the trailer, if I remember right, was a little ambiguous as to the nature of what the connections were and and what was really, you know, happening at the boarding school, Though there was definitely rugby in the trailer. Um, but it's just, you know, I, I was excited to see it. I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of lead the conversation on the review. But I I, I I was excited to see it. I thought it was a nice change of pace that they included that in the trailer package uh, and, and that they kind of are behind it because it's, it's a little bit different kind of film than some of what we get sort of hyped up about um, for SIF. So I was glad to see them included.
0: Yeah, I, well, I was too. And I'll be honest, I'm a sucker for coming of age stories. And actually in this last week um, on our on our regular podcast, feeling Film, we our next episode is going to be uh, on Almost Famous and i kind of just caught the bug again and so in my non-stiff movie viewing time i've been running through coming of age stories and realizing how in love i am with these dadgum movies so <laughs> i mean i'm a sucker for this stuff i can't help it uh and the the interesting thing about this one we are staying spoiler free and i i almost <laughs> i don't know if this is a spoiler or not i mean i guess it is but um this is this is a more modern take on a coming of age story, it doesn't include mm-hmm. just your normal boy and girl love story. Um, right. There is an interesting undertone of romanticness in play in this movie. Um, yes. But it's handled in such a unique kind of different way, and I really enjoyed the way it was handled. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of films, I think we are pushed into that boy and girl or whatever it is, boy and boy, girl and girl love story. And it's, it's made to be a very strong plot point, but I feel like in this, the relationship between Ned and his new um, roommate, Connor. So con, so Ned is uh, at this boarding school, his main character, his parents are often, I don't even know, Timbuktu or somewhere literally like <laughs> somewhere, literally like Turkey or something. And they put him in this boarding school while they're gone. And he's your typical, you know, high school awkward kid that gets beat up, picked on. They has a nickname, doesn't play rugby in a school where if you don't like rugby, you're considered lesser than. Right. And so he's just, a, you know, the outcast. And the new boy, Connor, comes to the school as a transfer uh, after being kicked out of his previous school. We don't know why, but Connor is a star rugby player. So now mm-hmm. we have outcast mixed with star rugby player. And it's of the very, it doesn't. You know, it's it's a traditional story. It's 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 pretty formulaic.
1: <laughs> as it, such. it gets there. It, it yeah, it gets a little formulaic, uh, which is a little bit disappointing because I think it it works. it works pretty hard to not be. And then I I kind of feel like, yeah, you know, when it came time to sort of tie up loose ends and wrap it up, it went safe. And I think it was kind of flirting with not being safe along the way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but in no way does that make it a bad film. Um, I, I really found myself enjoying it quite a bit. And I, and I think that the, again, trying to talk around the hook that <laughs> the I'm, elephant yeah. that's walked into the handsome devil theater, um, as it were, um, the, the relationship is just very pure and true that lies at the center of the film. And I think that the movie should get some credit for that. And there's also another subplot, uh, involving the English teacher that kind of speaks a little bit further to that um but it does kind of throw in some of the i don't want to say cliches but some of the formula which is you know you've got i don't know how many american-made sort of coming of age high school cast films deal with like football being like the the a number one sport and people sort of not fitting in there and then in this case it's rugby and you've got the the rugby teacher who's a a little overbearing and um a little and kind of unchecked because rugby is life at this boarding school. Um, but you sort of take all the different pieces and you put it together and you just kind of, you just kind of like it, right? You just smile through a lot of it and exactly right. The performances work and, um, you can kind of forgive, at least I could kind of forgive the last 10 minutes or so because it's kind of really good all the way up till then. And it just, so it takes a safe way out. You know what? It's okay. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think I think I land pretty much the same place. Um, The English teacher piece with Andrew Scott there, it it does lean towards a debt poet society esque type of feel. I mean, it's not telling that same story again. But it certainly has that type of performance in mind by that English teacher, um, who's kind of leading kids and trying to get them to explore literature and and there's a, there's a fantastic quote actually by the English teacher that I, I pulled out of this as a, as one of the more important things this film had to say, uh, at one point he says, never use a borrowed voice. You spend your whole life being someone else who is going to be you. And I thought that was great because I was like, okay, mm-hmm. you're making me think you're, you're not, you're not just gonna go the, the route of the, the, the plain old plain Jane story. You're going to, you're going to give me something to chew on, um, didn't fully pay that off <laughs> in a way that I, I would like sure. to see. And I think that, I think that several of the storylines that are brought up and several of the relationships with other people outside of Connor and Ned's own um with each other, those don't really wrap up fully, but yeah, at the end of the day, it has a fantastic soundtrack, by the way, Uh very oh, eclectic assortment of yeah. like alternative bands I actually had to look them up. I didn't know who they were. I knew I liked them, <laughs> but I <laughs> didn't know who they were. So it's it's the kind that's going to send you, you know, to Shazam to pull up your phone and be like, oh, who is that song by? And maybe you'll go discover some new music uh, coming out of this film, too. So that was a, a big yeah. highlight for me.
1: And there's even a section where Connor and Ned have to play in a um, well, they're sort of forced into playing into a school talent show. <laughs>
0: yeah. But
1: for a neighboring school which is a little like a little tacked on, but it also kind of underscores their relationship. And it's kind of funny to see like where they hide out trying to, you know, play the guitar and Ned knows like, what is it? One chord I think. And you know, so anyway, there's a lot to like about it. And I, and I actually think it's one of those movies that the crowds will be happy with. It's, it's a crowd pleaser and it's, it's going to play well at SIF for sure. Yep. and if it gets released I think it'll it'll find a little audience and maybe do something
0: I do too I think it's I mean it's a it's a solid you know above average slightly above average story for me uh, with a lot of heart and and that goes a long way uh, in today's yeah. world so um, this one plays on May 23rd and May 26th probably should have said this up front with another reiteration that this is all spoiler free so don't worry about that uh, but yeah. the links to the siF website are in the show notes and the blog post for this episode. Um, so you can click on the website link there and find out all the different show times for these films, but handsome devils playing May 23rd and May 26th. Those are your, your target dates. All right, moving on to the next one. So we have a, sadly, a, a lack of screeners available for the animated films in this festival which makes me very sad because uh, mm-hmm. I am unable to get to a lot of the screenings um, it's very difficult a lot of them are during the day
1: uh, listeners mm-hmm. for
0: those of you do that don't know and so when you have a day job <laughs> like most of us mm-hmm. and you can't get to them uh, we are able to use uh, video links that are, that are emailed out to us so we can have a chance to watch these movies and a lot of the animated ones weren't available um, but one that is is a little film called Ethel and Ernest, and I had no idea what this one was. So, Mike, I'm going to actually let you leave this one off here, because the <laughs> only reason I watched this is because it was on the list that you sent me of movies you were going to watch.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and I didn't exactly know what it was either, but um, I knew that it got picked up by the um, uh, G Kids, which is for anyone who follows Oscar season Chances are if a film gets nominated an animated feature and you've never heard of it before G kids is the distributor because they have a terrific uh, publicity arm with the Academy. And so seeing G kids pick this up, I was like, Oh, okay. I have no idea what this is. Um, let me, let's, let's take a look at it. Um, and I'm trying to open the synopsis. Here we go. All right. So Ethel and Ernest is based on a graphic novel. And of course, I'm using this electronically. Do you have it with you? Because it's, it's I resetting. Do. Could, you, I do. could you take that and I'll jump in?
0: Absolutely. So so, <laughs> the synopsis for this one is that Ethel Ernest is based on a graphic novel by Raymond Briggs, uh, who also wrote slash drew, I think, uh, The Snowman is what it's called. Uh, okay. So this is a humane and funny animated tribute to his parents, Ethel and Ernest, uh, and it charts their tender love story from the 1920s to the 1970s.
1: And That's, just as you finished that, my synopsis reloaded. So thank course, you. Of course it did. Um, yeah, so Ethel and Ernest, you know, it starts off with, uh, I believe, Raymond Briggs. I could be wrong. It might be an actor. I thought it was him. I was uh,
0: assuming it was him, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, putting on a pot of tea, uh, pouring a cup of tea from the stove, and he sits down, and there's some sort of narration, and he's going to just sort of tell us the story, and it devolves into this this animated film about his parents and it covers six decades and we literally experience the highlights of their entire relationship the highs the lows um the successes the failures it's voiced by brenda Blethyn and jim broadbent who are two wonderful actors jim broadbent um the voice just alone is like slipping into like pajamas and having a cup of tea. Right. I mean, it's just really is, such yeah. a nice cadence to it. And, uh, Brenda Blethyn um, is a, is a renowned actress as well from, um, Europe. And, and this is really what it is. It's, it's a, it's an animated storybook of, of a couple's life over six decades. And it's nice. It, it, um, it's an interesting watch though, because he, he's telling the story from sort of his perspective and the animation is very um oh sort of storybook like um there's sort of a lilt to the movie even in the moments that aren't nice or or good if you will i mean you know people have tough things in their life and ethel and ernest certainly did um and the movie never sort of wavers from that sort of lilting sort of I sort of thought about like, you know, when you, you're watching a kid's music video, not that this is like that, but there's words along the screen and there's a bouncing ball that just sort of bounces around. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie had sort of that feel to it. Right. So um, that was kind of interesting, especially in some of the moments that are, that are tough to watch, but you know, it's kind of interesting and, and I, I liked that I saw it. Um, I don't know that it's one of the better animated films overall that I would, you know, Celebrate and champion and say this is one of the best animated films of the year but I'm really curious if this is something that's going to come back around in the fall um, because there is a tenderness and an endearing quality to it that I think maybe some Academy members in the animation sort of branch might might warm up to and of course with Broadbent involved and Blethin there's a lot to like here um, it didn't blow me away but I, I'm happy I saw it
0: yeah, I, I will echo almost perfectly what you have said. Um, it's also, so it's directed by um, a gentleman named Roger Mainwood, who is actually one of the more prolific and better, uh, well-recognized and respected animation directors in the UK uh, as well. So, I mean, this this has some serious kind of clout behind it coming in. Um, the animation is all hand-drawn and... Mm-hmm. It's, it's gorgeous. Uh, You have to, you have to admit it is, it is a very pretty to look at film. It's almost like, gosh, at times I almost felt like it was like a watercolor painting. Um, Yeah. You know, moving throughout different scenes. It's weird though, because when it comes to talking about it, I have a whole slew of adjectives and that's, and then it's kind of all I've got. Like, I mean, it's intimate, it's affectionate, it's charming, it's lovely, but I didn't I I enjoyed it. I didn't, you know, dislike it. I think that um it has a a decent a decently done sense of dread that kinda hangs over it for much of it. Um so it's 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 really well put together. It's a little long, I think for what it is it, for what it, for it is. What it is yeah. Um it's not something that I thought I would be watching that long, uh, in this style. But <laughs> You know, it's, it just feels like a series of moments, you know, it's a series of snapshots at different times in life, um, with no real cohesiveness between it at all times. And so, um, I didn't love it and I didn't, certainly didn't come out of it thinking Oscar. Um, but no, no, but it was, it was enjoyable and it was pleasant. And, you know, I think this could be a film that finds an, a foothold with older audiences, um there's a nostalgia factor here uh for people who lived through some of the events that Ethel and Ernest uh go through that's that true they may connect in a way that young modern 21st century viewers aren't going to uh with this film so you know i liked it it it, it gave me a, a smile for most of it and and then i was done <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, like I mean, I I agree. I I I really don't have anything bad to say about it. I I think though, what works for it also somewhat works against it, and mm-hmm. that it is just kind of episodic, like you said. And and I get. I get that it's someone's memories, and I and I and I understand that it's 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 how we tell stories. Like if we're sitting down with someone and they ask a question about, what was it like when you. Okay, so, Aaron, what was it like when you lived in Arkansas all those years? And you're going to kind of go through and tell these highlights, and this exactly. happened, and then that leads to another memory of that. So it has that kind of pace to it, and, and it probably should, right? But it just doesn't. It doesn't wow you beyond its presentation and how it looks. The story is a little repetitive, I guess, although... It's not like situations repeat, but it's just, again, it's that cadence that doesn't waver.
0: It it does seem to me like something that would make a very good graphic novel, which is where it, this, this person, Mm. where he comes from is that world. And so that makes sense to me because it feels more like I'm reading a book than I'm watching a movie, I guess. So, yeah. So Ethel and Artist, it's, it's playing uh, May the 19th and May the 21st again. It's a it's a pleasing watch. You're not gonna be upset you saw it, um, but just go in with you know tempered expectations. You're not you're not looking at something like the Red Turtle or something shocking animated
1: wise. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, speaking next, of shocking, uh,
0: that's actually a great segue. Yes. So the <laughs> next the next film on this list. Um, one thing about Seattle is. We live in an incredibly open and uh, inviting, inclusive uh, community Mm -hmm. where people of of all colors, ethnicities, uh, sexuality, religion, we are really a melting pot or becoming a melting pot here. And and working for the YMCA, I can tell you, I've started to see this even more because we uh, do a lot of work uh, with communities for cultural reasons and things like that. Um, so we get some of these kind of off kilter, what I would, I would say, um, films and this, this documentary, I wasn't, I didn't know what we were getting out of this. I just, I just didn't know what this was going to (laughs) be. I should have, because the film is called the fabulous Alan Carr. And I doubt that anyone listening to this knows who Alan Carr is. I certainly didn't. Did you know who Alan Carr was before? this watching this.
1: So I had heard the name and knew of his work, but I had never put them together. Okay. Um, Which, which we'll talk about one of the films that he was a producer on. And I kick myself because I've seen that movie thousand times. And it's like one of my wife's all time favorite movies. So I've clearly seen his name race by my eyes on screen a thousand times. And I still never synced the connection together. So,
0: well, well, that movie, uh, as we get into this, so the synopsis for The Fabulous Alan Carr. Enter the fabulous world of flamboyant Hollywood producer Alan Carr, a legend for his lavish, star-studded private parties, whose fraught career went from the ultimate highs, Greece, to there the lowest lows, 1989's infamous Oscar ceremony. It's directed yeah. by Jeffrey Schwartz, and I, I think this might be one of the U.S. premieres, actually. Okay. Um so <laughs> Alan Carr was indeed fabulous in multiple senses of the word. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um you know the the most interesting parts of this story for me were the parts that focused on those two things we just read in the synopsis. Everything around the creation of Greece was fascinating. I love the movie like you've seen it th- hundreds of times probably. Mm-hmm. and had no idea that the role that this man played in making this film This film would not have existed if it was not for this man alan carr yes um and then also the oscar ceremony which i was <laughs> i was not watching the oscars uh in 1989 um but looking back at it, it what a crap show i mean oh my goodness like just bonkers um It would have fit in very well in 2017, actually, most likely.
1: I don't know. It's one of the most ill-conceived. I don't even (laughs) think it's limited to the Oscars. It's just one of the most ill-conceived numbers in, like, probably television history, stage history. I mean, well, well, we'll get to it anyway. So,
0: I mean, those parts of this were extremely interesting to me, Um there was also a piece of this that we got to learn about uh, Ellen's interaction and discovery of uh, an actress named Ann Margaret, who um, I'm familiar with from her work mm-hmm. in Bye Bye Birdie, one of my all time favorite musicals. So um, this I was it was, was enjoyable for me. It was nice to learn about him and and find out what his story was, because this is not someone I would have sought out information about ever. Yeah. personally, I didn't love as much of the the pieces where we delved into his personal life and his personal stories Um, but I understand why it's there and it's an it's it's important if we're talking about the whole person to talk about every aspect of his life and not just his career I just found the career parts more interesting the film also does something really cool which is it uses these these animated sequences throughout it Um, (laughs) and I thought that they matched the tone of this film really well and and I enjoyed them quite a bit.
1: Yeah, no, I I watching as many documentaries as I do uh, as you do uh, as well. You know, you run the risk of, of documentaries having a formula and looking the same and you know, you sort of I, I don't know about you, uh, Aaron, but like when I'm watching a documentary, I'm like, okay, it's a talking head documentary. It's going to be people sitting in a chair tilted one side. Oh, this is just a cinema verite documentary. This is just turning on the cameras, no narration, or, you know, you get sort of a mixed media kind of presentation sometimes. And that's what this is. And it is fitting because Alan Carr was a bigger than life, enigmatic, just persona as much as he was a real person. Um, and I think Jeffrey Schwartz captures that pretty well. Um, and you know, a documentary like this, even though it, it does kind of rush through certain aspects of his career and his life. Um, it's, I think 88, 89 minutes. So it's kind of a, a short documentary for a, a career like this. Um, you know, it, the animation and sort of just the, the tone of it, it, it all just kind of tries to give us an example of what it was like to be around this guy. And so the movie has moments that are just, they're maddening and they're exciting and they're funny and they're cringe-inducing. And and then you literally see a guy who went all in on every project once he got a little bit of taste of success. You know, you're right. He's exactly the reason why Grease got made. He wouldn't take no for an answer. He fought and fought and fought and we he got it made. Then he saw success with this uh, the film Le Cage a Faux which, and, and the play actually as well. But then there was a string of failures after that. And he went just as all in on those as he did with Greece, <laughs> and, yes, and he yes, just, he and his comeback was getting to produce the Oscars. And that is maybe the most interesting element, or well, at least not the most interesting, but it is a significant portion of the movie because you get to see that the 1989 opening number, um, the snow white traveling to Hollywood is the premise And it is a car crash of so So many things that ends famously with Snow White and Rob Lowe singing a duet of, um, is it Proud Mary? Is that the song?
0: I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch it. I didn't pay
1: attention I want to say it's Proud Mary. I could be wrong. So, um, maybe someone will correct us if I'm wrong. Regardless, Snow White and Rob Lowe doing a duet, um, Incredible on every level. Um, but I enjoyed this documentary. And SIF and the, the has brought movies like this uh, before. Documentaries about sort of the eccentric nature of Hollywood. Um, there was a documentary a couple of years ago called Electric Boogaloo. which ah, yeah. Which um, did a fantastic job looking at a, a certain sort of cut and swath of cinema that um, the exploitation sort of years. Um, so they, they tend to find these kind of sort of industry centric movies and i'm curious to see um if alan carr if if this gets a distributor i can't talk it's a distributor um gets a chance to run in theaters i I don't think it has theatrical distribution yet um but this is something that could could be kind of a niche film that that um the industry sort of warms to and cinephiles certainly like Um, but yeah what an interesting guy and he seemed to I don't want to say he made as many enemies as he had friends, but he certainly left an impression on
0: people. We'll say that he did. He certainly did. And uh, <laughs> while, while I was I enjoyed it as well, actually, uh, most of it. And while I mentioned that the parts that were focused on his his per, his personal life weren't my favorite parts of the film. I will say that one thing that came out of watching this is it was pretty heartbreaking to hear some of his friends and and coworkers and peers from, was well, this was he was in the seventies right it was seventies or sixties or, yeah, yeah, and, um,
1: basically seventies and eighties were his yeah two 70s. decades yeah. um
0: but understanding like he he kind of had to hide who he was uh, because mm-hmm. of the era regarding his sexuality for a long time and just. Being brought back to the the you know understanding of what it was like for someone at that time was was very sad because you could you could hear these stories about how it was hard, it was difficult for him um, mm-hmm. and he struggled with a lot of things that around that about being who he was and then he finally you know was able to break out of that and embrace right. who he was in a big way um, but you know it, it just reminds you that. Every, it always hasn't been the way it is today, um, and people went through a lot of turmoil and a lot of heartache yeah. at that time. So,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, and the movie does capture that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like we're doing well with what we've watched. Um, but I, I, I did like Fabulous Alan Carr, the Fabulous Alan Carr, and and you know, I, I will say this: I, I think for his legacy. I think it's a really interesting Hollywood story and if it finds an audience, uh, later this year, hopefully, or maybe early next year, whenever, uh, someone takes a shot and puts it out there, I, I think it'll, I I think it'll play well with people. Um, his is a story that I think exists in a lot more places than we realize. Yes. And, um, and so I, I, applaud Jeffrey Schwartz for bringing it to, uh, bringing it to light.
0: I agree. I mean, how many, how many producers do we know off the top of our head? Right. Very few.
1: Yeah, and, and, no, you're right. And
0: when you see how detailed their responsibility is, uh, in getting these films made is that was, that part was pretty interesting to me. You know, I, I, we always talk about the directors and the actors and even the cinematographers, but you know, they're not the ones putting the pieces together to even get those, those people in a room. That's the producers. And, and so, yeah, Alan Carr was very interesting, very eclectic, uh, just totally a SIF documentary. Like that's, that was the thing I thought about when I was watching. I was like, this is so SIF. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, check it out. Uh, if you're in the area, if you get a chance, once it hopefully gets picked up, because it is an interesting tale. And I think is, I think that if they focus on the grease aspect of marketing this, then this can find an audience because that's the connecting point. That's going to get people in the seat uh, to learn more about a really incredible, uh man, so yeah, it plays the 19th and the 20th here in Seattle. So if you're local, look for that one on the website and go check it out. All right, so those all three we were, you know, we enjoyed. We thought they were good films. The next two on the list though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about because these next two were more in line with the things that I get really hyped about finding in the festival. These are some of those where you see them and you're just like, Oh, this is something different. This is something unique or something special. Um, the first one of those two that we're going to talk about is called the force. And unfortunately is, is not about star Wars, which is what I thought when Mike told me to get this documentary. <laughs> um, and sorry, it's actually a little problematic because when you go to Google to find information on this and you type in the force film, guess what doesn't come up? <laughs> This, um, you get a lot of Star Wars. But there's a reason it's called The Force. Uh, The Force synopsis reads like this. Director Peter Nix won the Best Director Prize at the Sundance Film Festival for this varite journey inside the struggling Oakland Police Department as they work toward reform, revealing the dilemmas and tensions in play even before the department is hit with an explosive scandal. All right, so in a world that is dealing with the fallout of Ferguson and mm-hmm. multiple police shootings and accusations of police brutality um, and the resulting actions of some citizens to try and take justice into their own hands. Um, this is incredibly relevant in today's day and age, and I found this documentary to be so compelling. I was gripped by it. This was one of those times where I didn't want to look away. Um, for me, I'm a multitasker, Mike. And so I, mm-hmm. I'm always kind of trying to do multiple things at once, whether it's watching a film and playing on my phone a little bit or taking notes. I had to stop what I was doing at one point pretty early in this movie. Cause I was like, okay, no, I want, I want my, I want it to have a hundred percent of my attention. Um, There's a reason I think that this won the Best Director Prize at Sundance, which, I mean, for the documentaries. uh, But Mm -hmm. that's a pretty big deal. Uh, This is told in largely the cinema verite style yeah, uh, that you mentioned earlier uh, also. And it worked for me. Uh, I didn't know anything about this story. Um, So did you know anything about it going into it, or was this all fresh information for you?
1: A lot of it was fresh information. What, I, I knew that the Oakland PD um, had a checkered past to put it lightly. Um, and I remember there's some some clips from CNN and and other news agencies that are that are put into the film and i I think I, res- I remember hearing a couple of the, the sort of the, uh, the some of the sound bites sounded familiar to me. Um, but I didn't really know the story. I, I, certainly not to this level. Um so yeah this was this was pretty eye opening in many ways.
0: Yeah it was for me as well. So what this documentary basically does is I don't really worry too much about spoilers when we're talking documentaries because I mean these are things that you could potentially already know.
1: Um, you can it, google it and find out well Right. With the right search terms unlike yeah, what you Yeah
0: you're <laughs> maybe put in open police department <laughs> instead of just the force. But what we're talking about here is early on in the 2000s, the Oakland Police Department was hit with some serious, serious accusations and and uh, and issues, and and got oversight from the federal government uh, in order to try and fix this police department because of how bad things had gotten, um, the lack of trust, the lack of. Uh, you know, belief in the system from the citizens of Oakland was overwhelming at this time. And a man named chief Wint was put in charge uh, and began really overseeing this reform effort. Um, And it Mm -hmm. lasted, gosh, I want to say it's almost like almost a decade. it, It feels like, so yeah, it was, or no, he, I'm sorry, not almost a decade. It started in 2003. He was put in, in 2013. And Yeah, yeah. And there had
1: been reforms that had not that had failed, ex- <laughs> basically repeatedly. Yeah, yeah, repeatedly.
0: Um, so yeah, Chief Wentz put in, and we get to see uh, a lot of the attempts at reforms that went through this police department, and I loved it. I thought it was eye-opening. Um, it was refreshing in a lot of ways to watch officers going through an academy to see some of the things that they went through a lot. I resonated with this in some ways because watching these officers do things like the gas chamber, learn how to use the baton, um, go through use of force training where you learn that use of force is you use the minimum amount of force to stop the action, not you shoot to kill. And also these police officers being trained very, very strictly that anytime you pull your weapon, you have to understand that you have to justify that in a court of law. These are all things that I learned in the Navy and some of the work that I did, um, with use of force. And those are, those are very important things for any police officer to always have in their mind, obviously. Uh, but you know, watching the trainings that they went through, I thought, I thought that the police department was doing a really good job to be honest with you. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think One of the other takeaways from this documentary that I got was a sense of gosh, how, how much fear has to, whether it's on the surface or whether it's just sitting underneath, how much fear do you have to have to be a police officer these days? I mean, you watch these real life interactions from these, these cops and you know, this can be a routine traffic stop. Someone starts running, someone reaches for something in a car like you're at all times you have to be afraid for your life and I think that this documentary captures that and and gives you a sense of what it's like to be a police officer now as it goes on we get to see some of the other side too we get to see some corruption and ultimately some failures in the people of the police department I don't know that I believe it was the police department as a whole but you know culturally somebody's got to take the heat, right? Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think overall, I really applauded the fact that director Peter Nix did not take a biased approach in this film. This is a true documentary, which you don't always get. Usually there's a a, a purpose for a documentary and a, and it's telling you something and that's what it's doing. I felt like this did not do that. I don't feel like I got any kind of answers as to what was right and what was wrong. It just gave me a bunch of information and a bunch of positives and negatives and said, here's what happened. And let me put that together as I will.
1: Um, yeah, I really, really love this film a lot. Um, I'm, I'm happy it exists on a number of levels. Um, and there's a lot to unpack here. Um, this is the last movie, uh, that I've watched in terms of just everything we've tried to, sort of crammed through for the week. So there's a lot I'm still kind of swirling around in my head, but I I think the, the ability to just have the access and to just turn on the cameras speaks in this particular instance so powerfully because we live in a world that is very toxic between vulnerable communities and the police. And, and there can be, a whole 12 episode podcast series of why that exists and and why this is how we've gotten to, uh, with those sort of relationships and, and community, um, conflicts. But what the force movie does so well is it, it doesn't take a side, but it does show you, um, chief Wentz attempts to work within a framework that has failed to, to work within a department that, that seems to want to put those sort of demons and that history behind them and move forward in a positive way, as well as though appease his superiors and, and also put a positive spin on the work that the police are doing. At the same time, Nick's shows us the unrest and the civil discontent that is very true in and around the, the community that Oakland police serves. Right. And so you hear the names, you hear, you see the, the, the protests and they have merit and there's, there's truth on all sides of this movie, no matter who's speaking or no matter who's on camera. The other thing that I think is really powerful is that he, he shows you uh, the, the situation that I keep Coming back to in my mind is the elderly woman who was hit in the crosswalk um, That is a we don't know what's coming. It's a centerpiece to the film because it's sort of Whether intentional or not it brings together sort of all of the components that he has Sort of shown us and it all kind of converges into that situation you've got a, an elderly woman who was you know accidentally struck in a crosswalk and you've got you know the the driver is is isolated over onto the right side and the cop has been you know he's just arrived to the scene and he's trying to get a sense of it and he's trying to filter through people being legitimately upset trying to understand if this woman knows what's really happened to her because she's not fully She's seeming to lack the capacity of explaining what has happened. She says, "I know if, if I remember right, Aaron." She says um, she wasn't hit by a car; she fell down. But yep. she's clearly showing trauma from a from being struck by a vehicle. And of course, the driver's right over there, so we know what happened. Mm-hmm. And then, out of nowhere, this guy shows up without a shirt and pajama bottoms, and he's angry, and he says it's his sister. And he walks up, and the police officer is taken aback because because he doesn't understand what he's walked into. And so then here's this guy who seems to be upset and with merit, but he's got a distrust from the police and he's got sort of some history there that he's trying to work through, but he's also got the police officer on edge because he's acting unpredictably. And that whole sequence and kind of what follows just brings everything together. And you see all the different pieces that are in play here before we even get to an ending of the film where, you know, it talks about an explosive scandal and my God, Ugh. you know, when you get to that moment and I don't know if we want to reveal that or not, I, I but don't when you get, think so. Yeah. I don't, I don't either. But when you get to that moment and you see all of the work that the chief has done <laughs> and then it just, it disintegrates. It broke
0: my heart to be honest with you. It, 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 it was hard to see that. And then,
1: yeah. And then you've got, um, is that I believe the mayor gives a press conference appointing someone to take his place who then resigns nine days later. And now they, she says we're not appointing anybody else. And so you go through and you see all of this experience and all of this hard work over a three year period crumble. And now they're right back to where they were before he even got there in the first place. So it really just gives you a story that is essentially a snapshot of what it is like. Mm -hmm. And in this particular instance, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a urban community and it just doesn't pull any punches and it shows you all sides. And I'm really quite honestly, I'm liking it more the more we talk about it um, because it's a bold film and I'm, I'm really, really happy that it exists because I think it, it speaks volumes uh, to our climate and culture right now. So
0: I'm, I'm with you. I, this is, this is the type of movie that I will be championing the rest of the year. Um, I'll be telling everybody about it. I'll be trying to promote everybody to see it. Um, I think it's important. I, I you know that word, we throw it around sometimes, but I think it is, I think it's important for people to see. Um, one thing that we, w- I am going to reveal, um, is that ultimately what ends up happening in this story is there's, there is a, a civilian push for oversight of the police department. And you may kind of like be shocked when I say that I was shocked when I heard it. Like the fact that these civilians, these, these just normal everyday people thought that they had the right to literally form a committee that would punish the police department and, Mm -hmm. and take disciplinary into their action into their own hands. And the Oakland police department, situation devolves to a place where that becomes a real possibility. And it's just staggering um, in kind of where this story is at the moment in real in reality, in real life, and what that could possibly mean for the rest of the country.
1: Well, and and I think I'm trying to figure out how to say this. I, I think what it what it shows us is that it's not it it's such a complex matter. But it's not just as simple as coming in and trying new things and hoping that they'll work. You know, it's unfair to, I think after seeing the film, it's unfair to pin uh, essentially the scandal that that undoes the chief um, on him, yet it happens. And what it does is it ends up, again, creating this sort of cipher where you go back to a place where You know, the mayor is looking around going, how are we going to build this again? You know, whatever traction we were making is gone and it's, it's heartbreaking, but it also tells us that in different communities and in different jurisdictions and geographical locations, the relationships between the inner city and the police or, or vulnerable communities and the police, you can't truly know what that's like if you're not connected in some way, we can all observe it and we can watch the news and we can make our opinions. But again, this movie has truth in every moment and it's a, it's, it's a really accomplished piece of work.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I pulled, I pulled quite a bit out of it and I thought, you know, there's, there's a line in this that is pretty powerful where they're in their academy and they're learning from these, I don't know, it almost looks like civilians that are teaching them, not even cops, but one of them at one point tells the cadets, you represent every single police officer in the country, that what you do doesn't affect just you. It affects your actions are representative of the other police officers in the force of every police officer in this state and of everybody all over the country, because that's what people expect. And they expect that if Mike comes and treats me a certain way with respect, etc., then Aaron's going to come and he's going to treat me the same way exactly with the same respect and do the same things and that they need to hold to that standard. And that's, it's a tough thing. Uh, it's a tough job. I got, I got that out of it. And, and, uh, absolutely. And then there's, there's another fascinating scene that really stood out to me and I won't go into detail. People can see it and evaluate it for themselves, hopefully, but there's a moment where the police officers watch, A video, a dash or body cam uh, video of a shooting, a fatal shooting by a police officer. And for one thing, seeing that happen in real life never gets easy for me. Like when you see, I'm watching this video of someone actually being shot. I mean, that's a real life person that was shot and died. That's not in a movie. It's not an actor. I watched him pass away. Um, And the police officers have this incredibly open and honest dialogue, round table discussion of was it use of was the use of force correct? Should the police officer have shot this particular, uh, you know, suspect? And listening to that play out was mind-boggling to me. It was just incredible because you got to hear them really going at it and and breaking down all the pros and cons and what they thought. You got to see it going through their head and see the thought process that they went through as to how they would act in that situation. And and so I thought that was a really powerful moment in this film and, and a very, very important thing for people to see. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, it's PBS, uh, an independent lens, which is their documentary series. Uh, they're behind this. And so history would tell me that this is not just going to get isolated to PBS, that they're going to get some muscle behind it. And you'll probably see this in the fall. Um, getting a theatrical release and competing for the Oscars. So we'll see what happens.
0: I hope so. Uh, It's got my, it's got my vote. I'm not necessarily to win or whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm pushing for it to get recognition. So this one plays in Seattle on May 20th and 21st. Uh, Hopefully you're listening to this in time to get a chance to go and see it. And if you have that opportunity,
1: please do so it's, it's but worth definitely, it. definitely write it down because you'll, it, it'll come across you some way, mm-hmm. whether it's a year from now on PBS or whether <laughs> it plays at a theater, the art house theater near you. So this, yeah, it's called the force, uh, directed by
0: Peter Nix. So last big film before we'll have a couple quick hitters at the end, but the last major one we want to talk about is another, like, this is so Sif. I don't even, I mean, this is beyond Sif. um, <laughs> I, yeah, that's exactly the reaction that we're going for is the snicker that Mike just let out. Mike, I'm going to let you fire this off because luckily uh, you turned my attention onto this. Um, gosh, I am so glad that I didn't miss this.
1: Okay, um, so I, I, you give me credit for it, but I can't take the credit for it because a number of other Seattle area film critics uh, talked to me about this or were talking about this and I didn't believe them. And they said, dude, you just, you have to see this for yourself. We're going to stop talking, fit it in. And I was like, uh, all right, whatever. Good Lord. Okay. Let me, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just read the synopsis and we'll see where this goes. <laughs> okay. The movie is called bad black and the synopsis reads blasting out of Wakollywood. Hollywood The micro-budget studio founded by Ugandan action movie lover Nabwana Igg, this inventive action comedy and winner of the Audience Award at Fantastic Fest, uh, which is the film festival in Austin, Texas, delivers ass-kicking commando vengeance unlike anything you have ever seen before. And I will mention the genre that they describe this in is insane. Um and that's that's fair that's absolutely fair um it's 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 unreal what this movie is they shot it for $65 american money um it looks like it it it, it, it does <laughs> here here's the thing then
0: i don't mean that in a bad way though i mean that sounds like such a knock on a film but i mean it's it's impressive
1: so I had to do a little bit of research because I wasn't aware that Uganda had a, I guess I didn't not know that they had a movie. I don't know what I'm trying to say, like a movie industry or a mm-hmm. a, a studio or a, even that they made films. I don't even care if they make films because I think all I want to know is more about this Wakaliwood thing that's going on. So as I did some research on this after I, I watched it, apparently films would be imported into the country of Uganda and there was a a pattern of films and I don't have the context for this. I just know very little, but they would come into the country and they would be shown without subtitles. So the, what, what ended up happening is theater sort of exhibitors would hire somebody to then describe the film in Ugandan to the viewers and create the story essentially translating what was happening on screen to the audience. And it would become this sort of, I guess the way that they would go about it. Well, so what this, this guy does is his film is in its native language, but instead he he has somebody translating the Ugandan film into English as the movie is happening. So you end up trying to watch the movie as Nabuana IGG intends it to be watched. And then you have a guy doing mystery science theater 3000 riff tracks <laughs> over the top of it. And it's supposed to be that way. And it is the most strange and odd experience because at times the guy is clearly making stuff up as he goes along at times <laughs> He's correctly translating what's happening on screen. And then there's other times when he's just completely baffled along with everybody else (laughs) and telling you about it and telling you, I don't know what's going on right now. And, and talking over the dialogue to the point where you don't
0: even know what's actually happening because he's not letting you hear it or, or see the subtitles.
1: (laughs) No, it's, it's insane. And if I'm not mistaken, I think some of the dialogue is not like it's subtitled, but then they miss some of the dialogue. So you've got (laughs) moments where people are talking and there's no words on the screen, but you hear the riff tracks sort of guy, we'll call him making just filling space, filling air, I guess, as you're watching this $65, 68 minute extravaganza unfold before your eyes. And we haven't even got to what the movie's about which I don't even know if I can accurately capture. (laughs) I
0: don't know either. I mean, it's about, I was (laughs) trying to explain to someone today actually. um, And the best thing I, when I said it, she laughed at me. Um, I was like, well, there's this little girl who's part of this group of kids who are kind of uh, being controlled by this overlord of sorts. Um, This local, local power hungry guy who thinks he's, (laughs) he's all that. And, Essentially, you know, she grows up to go eventually and get revenge. And that's, that's the one plot line, the through line that I connected uh, to the story. On the side of that, you just have this American <laughs> doctor. I know it's crazy. Who's, I don't know what he's doing, but he, 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 ends up getting taught how to be a commando by a young Wesley well, Snipes. But it's not well, just really Wesley sec- Snipes. <laughs> well not to
1: interrupt you, Aaron, but he's an well, he's a doctor, but I think he either is an action movie star in America or he wants to be an action movie star. So then doesn't he take up with the commandos who teach him how to be a movie star? They but are, be,
0: yeah, they're teaching but him then how to he's be act- Yes. But then he actually does the stuff for real. He does. And then he goes back to being a doctor.
1: (laughs) And his, yes. And his assistant is, like you said, it's a young boy named, and I love the way that the uh, Riff tracks guy does it. He, the camera shoots, shows the kid, and he goes, and his assistant is a kid by the name of, and there's this pause, and he just says, Wesley Snipes. Like, just like, it came to mind, and we're going to go with it. (laughs) It,
0: it, Yes, it, it does. It feels, there's a lot in this movie that feels very much like made up as they go. Um, the characters, the other commandos in the film, they all have, uh, they all have like action star names. So there's, there's Schwartz who is a Schwarzenegger and, and and they tell you that that's the thing. This is not something where they're expecting you to figure it out. They're like, this is The name the guy is based off of. There's a Stallone. Um, (laughs) There's a Van Damme. There's, there's lots of them. And it's, it's so much fun and so bonkers and just absolutely crazy. And the thing is, through it all, it ends up having a lot of heart <laughs> at certain points.
1: Well, you can't... I don't know. There, You can spend five minutes with this or 68 minutes with it or somewhere in between. You may hate it and you may think it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen in A Waste of Time, but you can't watch it and not tell me that the people behind this don't love the movies. Like That's what comes through... Beyond all of this ridiculousness and the just weirdness and the trailer that or the screener that they provided for us, it says at the outset that this is the the film as it was presented and the uh, Fantastic Fest in Austin. Uh But isn't there like a commercial kind of at the beginning that says, I thought that was the
0: movie. I was so confused.
1: We will tailor this to whatever city you want to show this in. And what's funny is it premiered at the Alamo Draft House that's where they showed it and there's a scene where they destroy a building with a helicopter don't ask why the helicopter's fine by the way they put they superimpose the alamo draft house logo on the front of the building and so essentially they're destroying the audience or the building or it's so it doesn't even make sense but what i'm wondering is is this going to be the, like is SIFS logo going to be up there well, or is
0: the, did you not the, watch uh, LO Seattle? So there's a YouTube video. No, there's a two. I didn't ha- see that. Oh man. So there is a, I will, let me put this down that I need to link this in the show notes. Um, okay. There, there is a video out there that, that we got a copy of and I found it. It's, it's public on YouTube and it's called LO Seattle. And it's that version of the opening. It's like the opening only it's tailored to Seattle. So, oh my like, gosh. it's basically them doing that same crazy, like, stuff, but they're talking to us. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, you got to check it out. It's it's fantastic. I'll link it in the show notes because it's – that's what I've been sending to people. And I've been posting on Facebook and Twitter going, this is – everybody look at what I'm watching. This is crazy.
1: Um, the the other thing about this, too, is I think you texted me what is – who ki- who killed Captain Alex, Is, is I think. Yes. Or you talked to me about that? Mm-hmm. So – I, I, I still don't know. I know what that is. It's it's another movie from this Wakaliwood studio. This is apparently a sequel
0: well, to that. For a few minutes,
1: <laughs> for a few minutes, because the Rift tracks guy goes, "Wait, that is Captain Alex. He is alive." <laughs> he, and it's like oh, I don't know what's Captain... I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> <That's> not. The... <laughs> and, and then
0: he's never seen again. I know. Well, that's because he's you know he's dead. Yeah. And he says, "Oh, Captain Alex, he is dead." oh yeah the the final line of this film is just hilarious because the very end and i'm not gonna tell you what happens at the end but like when it is at its wrap-up moment to kind of have the resolution scene (laughs) the narrator just says hmm i'm confused and i'm ugandan ha 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 and then it (laughs) ends and i I died i laughed for like five solid minutes just Repeating that out loud, going ah, I'm confused, and I'm Ugandan, ah, because like it was Incredible. just like the most perfect ending of them saying yeah, okay, this doesn't make sense, but we're
1: we're done. <laughs> so here, here's here's another thing I love about it, and and I, I don't want to say too much more because I, I want to let if anybody can ever find this thing, do it. Just spend a little bit of time with it. If you don't think you can do all 68 minutes, the two main forms of violence in this movie are. Excessive gunshots where they never reload the, the, um, the ammo in the gun. They just start firing re- constantly um, and slapping. <laughs> there is a shocking amount of slapping that goes on in this movie where people just slap the hell out of one another. Kids, women, men, it, everybody just gets slapped in this movie. It's amazing. I don't understand
0: but th- maybe a slap
1: it, means more in Uganda than it does anywhere else. I,
0: I took it as partially a production budget thing. So when even sure. when they're shooting, right, like there's no bullets. There's not even fake bullets. No. It's like fireworks on the screen go off. Like little little <laughs> snippet like little flashes on the screen will happen. Um that look like somebody paint shop proed them or something, you know, on there. But, um, yeah, I, I took it as more of a, like, well, we don't have the budget for much. So we're just going to, you know, slap a lot. Cause that doesn't take anything. We can don't eat props or anything, <laughs> but maybe it is a cultural deal. It very well could be, I have uh, no idea. I, I concur with everything. This one is it's, it's incredible. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a five star experience for me. And I have to say that because of when you take it in context of what these people have at their disposal and what they have created, the, this is a film festival type movie. This is what these exist for. Um, and thank you SIF producers for going out there and finding (laughs) this random film in Uganda, right. That exists because what it, what it shows you is that there's such an amazing artistic, creative talent out there. Um, and it's inspiring to me because I don't have aspirations to become a, a film director, but my best friend and podcast co-host Patrick uh, has been doing short film festival or short film challenges recently where he he'll direct a short film. And this is an example of just go make it if you're passionate about it and you love it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter it, what resources you have at your disposal. You use what you have and you. You take your creativity and your unique voice and you put it on a camera and, and, and or you take a camera and you put it on a screen and see what happens, you know, and you can feel like you said, you feel their love of movies. And I yes. really, really connected with that.
1: My last thought on this is if you if you get through the the credits, there's um. I, I guess production moments from the And there's a scene where in the movie they turn a car, a car flips over. And in the sort of post credit scene, they show you kind of how they did it. Um, where they put these sticks on this toy car and you can see people off screen. I think they like flip it over. And then the shot after that is the director holding the car in his hand with the biggest grin on his face. Like, that right there encapsulates so much.
0: It does of why
1: Bad Black deserves at least a few minutes of your time because what's better than that? A guy just so thrilled that he found a way to make a car look like it was flipping over with <laughs> sticks and a and a model. It's yeah. it's it's awesome stuff.
0: It is awesome. So this one's playing at uh, on May twentieth, May twenty second, and May twenty fifth in Seattle. So a little extra time that twenty fifth date. Uh, if you're local, you can hopefully have heard this and make it out to see it. I I think that once people see the first one and word of mouth starts going, that this is the type of film that's going to sell out and have a line around the <laughs> block. I really do. Uh, the more people that see it, it's going to catch fire. I just can't imagine film festival goers not falling in love with this one. So
1: this this is a movie that will have a a, a following come. Uh, sort of everywhere it plays, there will be a group of people that talk about it and yeah. tell two friends and so on and so forth. And
0: Well, since it won that audience award at um, Fantastic Fest, I wouldn't be surprised to see it win something as if to one of our audience type awards because it's just, man, is it a pleaser all the way around. <laughs> it's it's so much fun. Check it out. Bad Black. I know I am intrigued enough that I'm going to seek out some more films uh, from Walk Hollywood and see what they've got. All right, Mike, hmm. quick hitters. I know you've seen a couple of other films that I have not. Tell us what they are. Sure. Tell us what they're about real quick. And um, if we... Yeah, and
1: I, I'll see if I have the dates with me. There's a, a Norwegian film called Pyromaniac, which is pretty good, um, that uh, is playing near the beginning of the festival. And Pyromaniac is... Uh, it's based on a true story of a... Uh, the son of a, uh, a fire chief who begins, uh, sort of becomes addicted. He starts to work for his father and he becomes addicted to um, fires and the putting out of fires, but also the starting of fires. And so he is someone who um, (laughs) suddenly an inordinate amount of fires erupt in this community and the fire chief and his battalion of firefighters, including his son, have to go put them out. And you start connecting the dots, and he starts realizing that he may not like the uh, the information that he's finding. So that's Pyromaniac, and I think that plays. I do have the dates here. If you don't have it, it's the twentieth, the twenty second, and then the thirty first of May. Um, I saw a film Paradise, which is a really interesting movie that I think plays later in the festival. So maybe we can we can table that one. But it's uh, yeah. A really interesting uh, look at World War II and then the other movie I think I came across was Prom King 2010 which um, details um, basically just uh, a gay man uh, in New York trying to maneuver his way through dating and social interaction in New York City and um, finding a number of uh, potential suitors that either break things off or just aren't ready to be out and it's it's a a personal story that he wrote directed produced and stars in his name is christopher shapp um and um it's pretty good it's uh it's definitely low budget micro budget indie but um he did a nice job with it so those are some of the others i've seen and then there's a long list coming for you and i both after that so
0: yep it's it's endless can't watch 400 but uh (laughs) get through as many as we can and talk about the better ones so yeah Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time to come on and go through these with me. Um, Hopefully this has been insightful for everyone listening uh, and has put something on your radar to go see in the next week or two here in Seattle or to take note of and pay attention to once these things start rolling out to the general public in various methods. Um, Please check out all of Mike's work. Uh, Mike. (laughs) <laughs> that, i'm gonna have a link to your website in the show notes and your twitter but why don't you tell me where else can people find your stuff
1: yeah so um you can see my reviews at um, my website which is www of course i guess we don't do we say that anymore i don't know uh should i see it dot net is where you can find my work and uh i'm also on twitter at should i see it and yeah that's that's kind of where i live I guess there's a should I see it Facebook page too, but it doesn't get as updated as often as Twitter and my website. So
0: awesome. Yeah. Mike's reviews are fantastic. So um, if you're looking for some spoiler free before movies uh, come out or before uh, you go see it, uh, a place to to find a review that's going to tell you literally what the title of his site is. Should I see it? Um, They are extremely well put together and, Thorough and it, I can't recommend them enough because um, a lot of reviews kind of skirt around that issue of whether or not you should go see it. And Mike does a good job of, of, you know, parsing that out into diff different parts. You know, different moviegoers traits. So you know, if you should see it if you like this, or you should see it if you don't like this, etc cetera. Uh, you can find me all over the web at Aaron L White as always. A A R O N E L W H I T E. That's Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. Uh, you can find the show at Feelin' Film. have a very active Facebook group. We'd love for you to come and join. Just type in Feelin' Film and find the Facebook group there, or you can find a link to that at feelin'film.com on the very first landing page. In the meantime, just uh, check out the other episodes here at Feelin' Film Plus, or go over to the Feelin' Film main, main feed and subscribe to that for our regular movies uh, reviews that come out every week. And, you know, subscribe to this too and look for some more CIF coverage coming in the next week, week and a half or something like that. haven't really decided exactly (laughs) when that's going to drop. It'll depend on what we get watched and when. Uh, But we will go over some more movies at some point. So thanks everybody for being here and we hope that this has been valuable.